Hey everyone, welcome to this week's conversation with Dr. Stephen Ned about the body and how to fix, protect, or maintain it using outside-the-box alternative solutions. If you're a big fan of the pharmaceutical or surgical approach, you are so in the wrong place because on this podcast, we're not going to be pushing the conventional medicine methods or way of thinking about health. If you're looking for another way to live longer and healthier, join me, Ron Ned, and my brother, Dr. Stephen Ned, for this week's body chat about arthritis. Me? I'm a retired Twin Cities chiropractor currently helping people buy and sell homes in the Tampa Bay and Los Angeles areas. My brother has a thriving chiropractic practice in the Clearwater area of Tampa Bay, Florida. In this podcast, we're going to chat about all sorts of topics related to health, nutrition, exercise, just about everything having to do with the body. You're invited to listen in to our body chat, but don't forget that neither of us is giving you health advice, so don't rush off to do something without either checking with your doctor first or seeing Dr. Steven Nett as a patient at his office. Good evening, Steve. This week, we're going to get into a little bit about arthritis. A lot of people experience it, and so we want to make sure people understand more about it. So let's start with what arthritis is. And what are the different types of arthritis? All right. If you break the word arthritis in half, arthra means joint and itis means inflammation. So it literally means joint inflammation. Very simple. Yeah. Now, arthritides is plural for arthritis. And this is a group of joint diseases, which in addition to inflammation, typically have the signs and symptoms of pain, swelling, stiffness, reduced range of motion, and deformity. Uh, by far, the two most common arthritides are osteoarthritis and rheumatoid arthritis. So mm -hmm. those are the ones that we're going to focus on in this podcast. Okay, good. So what is rheumatoid arthritis and what are the kind of symptoms that it's known for and how is it diagnosed? All right. Well, rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune disorder that attacks multiple joints of the body, especially the hands, feet, and knees. Again, an autoimmune disorder is a condition in which the body's immune system mistakenly attacks itself. You know, we did an entire podcast on this topic, and that was no number 24. Mm -hmm. Rheumatoid arthritis specifically affects the lining of the joints, resulting in painful swelling, and over a long period of time, the inflammation associated with it can cause bone erosion and joint deformity. Now, this typically happens on both sides of the body in the same joints which is one way that you can distinguish it from other types of arthritis, including osteoarthritis. Uh, another important thing to know about rheumatoid arthritis is that the symptoms of it are cyclic, meaning that there are flare-ups as well as periods of remission when the symptoms dissipate completely. It's diagnosed through x-rays and even MRI, which can detect uh, how severe the joint damage is. And in addition, there are blood tests typically performed to help diagnose rheumatoid arthritis. There's a test called rheumatoid factor, which when levels are high means that an individual has an autoimmune disease, which is likely rheumatoid arthritis. Another test called the anti-CCP test looks for antibodies associated with rheumatoid arthritis. And so people who test positive for this usually have rheumatoid arthritis. And the only catch is that not everyone with rheumatoid arthritis tests positive for this antibody. And this is why more than one test is needed to confirm a rheumatoid arthritis diagnosis. Uh, another similar test that may be performed is called the anti-nuclear antibody test to see if your immune system is producing antibodies. 
But again, this one also is not specific to a certain disease or condition, but it could be rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, two other tests that check for inflammation are often performed, including the ESR test or erythrocyte sedimentation rate test, which helps determine the degree of inflammation in the body. It does indicate that there is inflammation present, but doesn't identify what's causing it. And then there's the C-reactive protein test, which measures a protein the liver makes when either there's an infection or significant inflammation anywhere in the body. High levels of this can be found in someone with rheumatoid arthritis. Okay. So one of the key things from that that I got is the way to tell it's rheumatoid arthritis as opposed to other ones, or one key way is that you'll have the joints affected equally on both sides of the body. Mm -hmm. Same joint. Because yeah. I have a friend that's got that and her fingers, like her index finger and middle finger are bent maybe like 45 to 60 degrees. Yikes. Which, you know, she she functions very well, but she's got that on both hands. Both fingers on both hands are the same way. Yeah. So we mentioned that rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune disease. Is there any more information as far as what causes it? Well, as you know, an autoimmune condition is caused by an anomaly in the immune system where it attacks healthy body tissue. But the reason this occurs is pretty much unknown. There are seven common risk factors, however, for rheumatoid arthritis that are recognized by most medical experts, and I thought I'd go over those. All right. So the first one is that, you know, it, it can occur at any age, but it's most common between ages 40 and 60. It's also more common in people who also have family members with it. Uh, it's more common in women, especially those who have either never been pregnant or those who've recently given birth. Toxic chemicals from the environment can increase someone's odds of getting rheumatoid arthritis. Trauma or injury, such as a broken bone, dislocation, or ligament damage can trigger rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, obesity, especially in people under age 55, is another risk factor. Smoking can raise your odds of getting rheumatoid arthritis if your genes already make you more likely to get it. Plus, if you do get rheumatoid arthritis, then smoking can make it worse. So I'd also like to add that most rheumatology investigators now believe that an infectious agent can actually cause rheumatoid arthritis. Now, there's little agreement as to which specific microorganism is involved, but the list includes the rubella virus, the herpes family of viruses, especially cytomegalovirus and Epstein-Barr virus, bacteria from periodontal disease, and mycoplasma, which are a tiny type of bacteria that acts as a parasite in the human body. And there's now studies showing them present in people with rheumatoid arthritis, and they seem to respond to a specific form of the antibiotic tetracycline called minocycline. Okay. So that is rheumatoid arthritis. And like you said, there's no certainty as far as what causes it, but there are factors that make somebody more susceptible to it. Now, what are the conventional treatments for somebody with rheumatoid arthritis? Well, drug therapy is the main type of medical care for rheumatoid arthritis. And there are four types of drugs that they recommend. Okay. The first is NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, and they're commonly prescribed for rheumatoid arthritis to help with the symptoms of pain and inflammation. 
they don't slow down the progression of rheumatoid arthritis. And if someone has moderate to severe rheumatoid arthritis, then other drugs are normally prescribed to prevent further joint damage. Over-the-counter NSAIDs include ibuprofen, naproxen, and aspirin. These are often not strong enough, and instead, doctors normally have to recommend prescription NSAIDs to handle more severe cases. The problem with the prescription NSAIDs is that they all increase an individual's risk of heart attack and stroke. Plus, they can cause stomach irritation, ulcers, and bleeding, along with your blood pressure. The second group is called DMARDs, which stands for Disease-Modifying Anti-Rheumatic Drugs. These are designed to help slow or stop rheumatoid arthritis from getting worse by slowing down the overactive immune system response. I mean, these do work pretty good, especially in dramatic cases of rheumatoid arthritis. But the problem is that they aren't selective in working with just part of the immune system. They affect the entire immune system. So they tend to create a wide variety of side effects, including infections. Now, the first of these that doctors recommend is methotrexate, which also happens to be a chemotherapy drug. And despite its effectiveness, it's also notorious for causing a long list of side effects in the body. Now, a subcategory of DMARDs is called JAK inhibitors, which block certain immune responses instead of the whole immune system and can be recommended when other DMARDs like methotrexate don't do the job. Now, another group of drugs called biologics may be recommended when methotrexate or other DMARDs don't ease the symptoms and inflammation. Just like the JAK inhibitors that I just mentioned, these are designed to only block specific parts of the immune system. In their case, they work on parts of the immune system that play a key role in inflammation associated with rheumatoid arthritis. Now, the problem with these is that they're genetically engineered proteins. And we've learned in previous podcasts that other substances that are genetically engineered or genetically modified, like glyphosate found in the herbicide Roundup, GMOs, also known as genetically modified organisms, and the genetically engineered amino acid L-tryptophan have been shown to cause some horrific side effects and have not been properly tested, especially long-term on people. So, you know, we're basically part of a long-term biological experiment, which is not being properly monitored and is likely undermining the health of a high percentage of the world's population. One of these biologics has been promoted heavily, especially on TV, and that's Humira. And like most drugs marketed on TV, if you pay attention, you'll notice that there's a long list of side effects which take up a good chunk of the commercial. That's correct. I think that really all of the research on those drugs, the long-term research for side effects and things like that, should be focused on Washington, D.C., because we wouldn't really see that much difference anyway if the side effects were really bad. (laughs) All right. I wanted to also cover the fourth type of drug that they sometimes recommend, and that's steroids. I mean, these tend to be recommended when the symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis flare up and become really severe. They're typically given for a short period of time to control a flare-up, but some people are kept on them for long periods to control pain and inflammation. And they can either be given as shots to specific joints, or they can be taken in pill form. Now, for severe joint damage resulting from rheumatoid arthritis, joint replacement surgery may be needed with the hips and knees being the most common. 
And sometimes the shoulders need to be replaced also. And, and the ankles, which don't respond well to joint replacement, are typically fused instead. Wow. Yeah. Physical and occupational therapy are also typically recommended by medical doctors for people with rheumatoid arthritis because they're definitely very helpful. Right. I can see that. Now, those are the conventional treatments. What are some of the alternative treatments that have shown promise for rheumatoid arthritis? Well, for, you know, for rheumatoid arthritis, the first alternative approach that should be followed is eating a low to no inflammatory diet. And topping the list of diets for this is the Plant Paradox Diet by Dr. Stephen Gundry. And you can find out more about this by referring to our podcast number 28, which goes over it in great detail. Now, I want to especially stress the importance of eliminating sugar, especially fructose, and most grains, because if you don't do this, you're going to sabotage your ability to improve, and pretty much everything else that you try will likely fail miserably. That's true. Yep. There's also anti-inflammatory supplements that should be taken. I've gone over these in past podcasts, and the main ones are fish oil or krill oil, along with Solgar's full-spectrum curcumin due to it being... 185 times more bioavailable than standard curcumin. Two other crucial supplements include vitamin D3 with daily amounts of at least 10,000 IUs balanced with about 100 to 200 micrograms of vitamin K2. Vitamin D deficiency is strongly associated with the development of rheumatoid arthritis. And then there's one called astaxanthin, which is an antioxidant supplement that should be taken at about 4 milligrams per day. Not only are there studies showing that it can reduce pain associated with inflammation in rheumatoid arthritis sufferers, but it should also be given to people that have taken or are taking prednisone for rheumatoid arthritis because it protects against the side effects of prednisone, which include reduced vision and blindness. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, since rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune condition, I recommend going back and listening to podcast number 24 on autoimmune conditions since I give some great pointers on how to combat autoimmune conditions. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, and in that podcast, I stress that research shows that every person with an autoimmune disease has some degree of leaky gut syndrome. So it would also be wise to determine if an individual with rheumatoid arthritis has leaky gut syndrome and to what degree they have it. And this can be determined through two lab tests that I recommended in that podcast. And I also include in that podcast supplements that are excellent at repairing a leaky gut. So really, that would be good to go back and check that out. Excellent. So that covers rheumatoid arthritis pretty well. And the other most commonly seen one is osteoarthritis. So let's take a look at that now. And why don't you describe what it is and what symptoms are commonly seen and how it's most commonly diagnosed? All right. Uh, osteoarthritis is the most common type of arthritis, and it affects the protective cartilage that cushions the ends of the bones. Now, the most common symptom is joint pain in the hands, neck, lower back, knees, or hips. And this tends to occur during or after movement. Other signs and symptoms include joint stiffness, which is usually most noticeable upon arising in the morning or after being inactive during the day joint tenderness when you apply light pressure on or near the joint, loss of joint flexibility or range of motion. It's also common to feel a grating sensation when using the joint along with hearing popping or cracking sounds. Uh, you'll have swelling due to soft tissue inflammation around the joint, uh, and that's pretty common. 
And one of the hallmarks of osteoarthritis is bone spurs, which are due to extra bone growth around the joint, which can eventually cause the joint to fuse. And these are, you know, really easily seen on an x-ray. And um, just like rheumatoid arthritis, it's diagnosed through observation and x-ray, but there aren't any definitive blood tests for it. You can again run ESR and C-reactive protein blood tests to check how severe the inflammation is, but there aren't any specific blood tests to diagnose osteoarthritis. Okay. So now that we know what osteoarthritis is, what causes it? Well, osteoarthritis is basically caused by wear and tear of the joints. Since cartilage is there to cushion the joint and allow nearly frictionless motion to occur, when it degenerates and is worn down, the body often puts extra calcium there to try to alleviate the situation. But the problem with that is that the body is not very artistic about the shape and size of the calcium deposits. And as a result, bone spurs tend to develop. And if there's severe loss of motion in the joint, then calcium deposits can also join the two bones together, causing a permanent fusion. And one more thing about osteoporosis that distinguishes it from rheumatoid arthritis is the specific finger joints that it normally affects. Okay. Which specific finger joints? Well, in osteoarthritis, you'll primarily see the joints deformed closest to the tip of the finger, whereas in rheumatoid arthritis, any of the joints can be affected, but it usually spares the end joints that are affected by osteoarthritis, and it most commonly affects the joints in the middle of the fingers. Hmm. Okay. So that gives us some distinguishing factors between the two arthritides. Now, what are the conventional treatments that are typically used for osteoarthritis? Well, just like rheumatoid arthritis, the primary medical treatment for osteoarthritis is medications. And there are three primary types of drugs used for osteoarthritis. Painkillers or analgesics include uh, acetaminophen, also known as Tylenol, as well as tramadol and opioids like oxycodone or hydrocodone, which are notoriously addictive and potentially deadly. Yeah, those are not good solutions for this problem. No. NSAIDs, again, which are also prescribed for um, osteoarthritis, include aspirin, ibuprofen, naproxen, and Celebrex. And of course, the steroids, prednisone and cortisone. There's also the antidepressant Cymbalta that is approved for off-label use to treat chronic pain, including osteoarthritis. Hmm. Now, just like rheumatoid arthritis, physical therapy and occupational therapy are often recommended for people with osteoarthritis. And if the condition becomes disabling, then surgery may be required, and there are two types of surgery that can be performed. First of all, there's a procedure called an osteotomy, which is primarily done in the knee joint when one side of a, a particular knee is damaged more than the other. In this procedure, the surgeon cuts across the bone, either above or below the joint, and then removes or adds a wedge of bone, which creates the effect of shifting weight away from the worn out part of the knee. Hmm. The other procedure recommended is joint replacement surgery, which is also known as arthroplasty. This involves removing damaged joint surfaces and replacing them with plastic and metal parts. These are normally pretty successful, especially in the hips and knees, but there are risks involved, including infections and blood clots in the short term. And in the long term, the artificial joints have a tendency to wear out or come loose, which means they have to be eventually replaced again. All right. 
Well, those are solutions, but they don't sound like the best solutions. So are there any alternative approaches that you've found that help with reversing osteoarthritis or even possibly preventing it? Well, I mean, if it's to the point where there's fusion, obviously you can't reverse that. Um, there's bone on bone or whatever, but um, if it's more of an early stage, it is, you know, it is possible to arrest it and keep it from getting worse. And some of the things I found that work are supplements. Mm-hmm. And there's four that I recommend that handle four different aspects of osteoarthritis. Okay. So again, um, Solgar's full spectrum curcumin is an awesome supplement for reducing inflammation. Uh, Carlson's The Very Finest Fish Oil contains large amounts of omega-3 fatty acids. So it's also great at reducing inflammation along with the fact that its oily consistency acts as a great joint lubricant like WD-40. Mm. And of course, krill oil is an excellent uh, alternative and works well for people that have a hard time metabolizing fish oil. Right. A great joint support supplement must include all three sulfur ingredients glucosamine sulfate, chondroitin sulfate, and MSM, since each one plays a different and vital role in building, preserving, and preventing the breakdown of joint cartilage. And my favorite is Ultraflex Forte by Hollywood Health Products, since it contains these and much more for joint health. All right. And then finally, I recommend an excellent liquid magnesium that keeps calcium in solution and has also been effective in dissolving calcium deposits in the body. I've had success with this even dissolving kidney stones, and it's called Magnesium Solution 18% by Cardiovascular Research. And the daily dosage is typically two to three teaspoons a day. Now, obviously, you would also follow a low or no inflammation diet like you would for rheumatoid arthritis. Right like the plant paradox. There's also four alternative injections that can be given instead of steroids, and I've mentioned most of these in past podcasts. And they are prolotherapy, which you had done on your shoulder, and that's just simply saline and water. Right. PRP injections, which I've, I've done, and that stands for platelet-rich plasma, which is where they take some of your blood, spin it down in a centrifuge, and collect the cells, which include platelets that have growth factors that help with tissue regeneration and tissue health. Mm-hmm. Stem cell injections have also become popular for arthritis, as well as many other medical conditions. Right. And then there's hyaluronic acid injections, uh, and they've become also a popular alternative. Hyaluronic acid injections are also known as gel injections. Uh, Hyaluronic acid happens to be chemically similar to your natural joint fluid. Mm -hmm. You see, when you have osteoarthritis, joint fluid becomes watery. So injecting hyaluronic acid into a joint helps to restore the fluid's natural properties and works as a lubricant and a shock absorber. Wow. Yeah. Now, speaking of water... Joint cartilage, again, doesn't get a blood supply and absorbs water and nutrition from its surroundings by osmosis like a sponge. So when you're dehydrated or low on water, joint cartilage suffers considerably because it's very low on the priority level in a water-restricted body. So in other words, when it comes to survival, when your water level is low, your body's going to send what's available to the vital organs first and then to other areas that aren't as crucial in order to stay alive and survive. So, you know, your joints can really suffer when you don't drink enough water. It's good to know. Now, 
Anything else on the arthritides that we didn't cover that you'd want to go over or anything else you want to say on this topic before we end? Yes, there's actually quite a few of these arthritides uh, uh, besides uh, osteoarthritis and rheumatoid arthritis, and I'm just going to briefly go over six of the more common ones. Okay. So let's start with psoriatic arthritis. This is a type of arthritis that affects some people who have the skin condition psoriasis. Most people get it about 5 to 12 years after first noticing that they have psoriasis, but it's also occurred in people before the traditional skin lesions of psoriasis have developed. Then there's gouty arthritis, and this is due to people having high levels of uric acid in their blood that end up depositing in joints in a crystalline form, and it most often occurs in the big toe, causing pain, redness, and swelling, especially suddenly in the middle of the night. Right. There's also what's called pseudogout, which means false gout, and it's called that because it's similar to gout since it also involves the buildup of crystals and joints, especially the big toe, causing you know similar symptoms. The big difference is that the crystals are not from uric acid, but instead from a form of calcium called calcium pyrophosphate. And this tends to occur in older people, and the risk is higher in people that have either excessive calcium or iron in their blood or too little magnesium. Now, there's another form of rheumatoid arthritis that used to be called juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, but it's now referred to as juvenile idiopathic arthritis, which is the most common type of arthritis in children under age 16. The word idiopathic is used because there is no known cause for it, and just like standard rheumatoid arthritis, it's classified as an autoimmune condition. Uh, not only can it affect the joints like regular rheumatoid arthritis, but it can also cause eye problems and interfere with a child's growth and bone development. Uh, ankylosing spondylitis is another type of arthritis that primarily affects the spinal and pelvic joints and ligaments. When it becomes more advanced, people with it will have poor range of motion and will have a hunched forward posture due to fusion of the vertebral joints. And finally, there's polymyalgia rheumatica, which typically develops in people over 50 and is associated with achiness and stiffness, primarily in the neck, shoulders, and hips. Okay. So we have now covered all the arthritides, at least the key ones and some of the lesser known ones. Uh, so that's important information for people to understand because there's quite a few people that do suffer from one form of arthritis or another. And they'll go to their doctor and they'll get prescribed cortisone, cortisol, some type of medication, and just take it. And they don't realize what harm that can cause and the fact that there's other ways of dealing with it. All right. So now let's see. Next week, we're going to go into something a little more fun. I know it's something that you'll definitely enjoy. And it will kind of tie into the videos that we did on YouTube a little while ago. We're going to be talking not about posture, but about exercise, because we did do some exercise videos having to do with posture, but this is going to be on the subject of posture in general. So that's going to be next week's episode. So everybody put on your Olivia Newton-John sweats and bandana, and we're going to get physical. <laughs> All right, Steve, see you next week. All righty.
Thanks for joining us this week on the Body Chat Podcast. We both really appreciate your time and your attention. We want to provide you with interesting and informative episodes each week, and if you have a topic you'd like us to cover or any questions you'd like us to answer, send an email to us at info at bodychatpodcast.com. That's info at bodychatpodcast.com. To make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, subscribe to the Body Chat Podcast now on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. See you next week. Music